This is Lock and Code, a Mauerbytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. This week, we're going to talk about last week, starting with the news. On Mauerbytes Labs, we reported on a severe vulnerability in the Mail app for iOS. According to researchers at ZecOps, hackers could access victims' mail apps without a victim opening a malicious email or clicking anything inside. The good news about this zero-click vulnerability is that it only allows access to the mail app, not to the device. Look, we know that isn't great news, but we'll take anything we can get for this threat. We also weight the pros and cons of using biometric information to replace passwords. While options like fingerprint readers, retina scanners, and facial recognition technology remove the risk of losing a password, they create a new risk. If your fingerprint is stolen, you can't ask Google to change it. Ah, damn it, did we just give them a new idea? Finally, we launched Malwarebytes Privacy, our very own VPN to help strengthen users' online privacy. You've likely heard wild claims about VPNs. They slice, they dice, and make julienne fries. But our VPN excels where it matters. Malwarebytes Privacy does not collect user logs or telemetry data whatsoever. That means that your data remains private even from us. So go ahead, browse wherever you want. Yes, even that one site that immediately popped into your mind right now. In cybersecurity news across the world, researchers at cybersecurity firm Cybel found data on 267 million Facebook users being sold online for just 500 euros. The data included users' email addresses, first and last name, phone numbers, statuses, and age. At that price, you'd be a fool not to buy. You may even learn something about yourself. Dark Reading wrote that automated bot activity dropped to an all-time low online. That's good. But the outlet also reported that unwanted automated bot activity from so-called bad bots increased to an all-time high. That's bad. The bad bots accounted for 24% of all internet traffic, mussing up the place by scraping data and attempting logins. That's bad again. There is no good. Sorry. A cybersecurity team at ESET discovered that three smart home hubs contained flaws that could allow remote code execution, data leaks, and man-in-the-middle attacks. These vulnerabilities are for the hubs that communicate between IoT devices, not the devices themselves, which honestly can also include a litany of security vulnerabilities. Once again, there is no good news. Just bad. ThreatPost warned readers about a new Android banking trojan called Banker.br that tries to steal online banking credentials. The malware spreads through malicious messages urging potential victims to download a bogus security app. I, for one, am immune to this attack since I never read anything from my bank. Security Week told users about a high-severity vulnerability in OpenSSL that could allow denial-of-service attacks. The now-patched flaw appears to be the first high-severity vulnerability found in OpenSSL in 2020, after two years of only low- or medium-severity flaws being reported. Congratulations! The privacy-focused company Vivaldi added options to block ads and web trackers into its latest browser, Vivaldi 3.0. Ad blocking is not turned on by default, as the company cautions users against limiting the revenue of trusted sites. 
Vivaldi suggested donating to favorite websites as a workaround, which means I have one more thing to support during coronavirus. Our main story today concerns virtual private networks, VPNs. These tools can provide improved anonymity online by routing and encrypting your internet traffic through the VPN's server. As more people began caring about data privacy in recent years, VPNs have surged in popularity, with at least 300 mobile VPN apps available to the average user as of 2019. Paid VPNs have also flooded the online advertising space, using their marketing budgets to sponsor popular content makers on YouTube. For many consumers, though, the rush of options and claims can be confusing. They might hear that a VPN can prevent their internet service provider from spying on them, but not know why that would happen in the first place, or what that spying actually looks like. They might hear that a VPN could prevent their password from being stolen when connecting to a public Wi-Fi connection, but not understand if that's a common threat to begin with. And, of course, they might hear that VPNs are only meant for people who supposedly have something to hide, and then assume there's no benefit for themselves. To help us understand how VPNs work, debunking their myths, explaining their actual capabilities, and providing some advice on what makes a strong VPN, we're talking today to JP Taggart, Senior Security Researcher with Malwarebytes. JP, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. This is a subject that is near and dear to my heart, so I'm quite happy to talk about it. <laughs> Great, yeah. So, JP, to help our listeners at home understand your role at Malwarebytes, can you just talk a little bit about yourself and your research? So, I'm a senior security researcher. I'm part of the threat intel department at Malwarebytes. I'm kind of the skunkworks guy, so... A lot of what I do is set up special environments to test malware, and very often that malware uses what we refer to as geolocation as a method to determine where a sample might be detonated. So I've had to use VPNs extensively to circumvent that or to examine a threat from certain geolocations. So for example, I'll blow up a sample in a controlled environment, and if my computer appears to come out continually of the same IP address and the same geolocation, I might eventually not get any results because the bad guys keep an eye on that. So I've had to develop some systems to look like I'm coming out of Europe or North ah. America or Asia or any number of different places because sometimes we get a different payload depending on where we're coming out of. So VPNs are extremely useful in looking like we come out of the right place because realistically, I can't get on a plane and fly to <laughs> Europe just to blow up a sample of malware to see what happens yeah. uh, when it's coming out of the UK. Let's just get right into it. Let's start really basic here. What is a VPN and what can it do? So in my context, the VPN is it's a virtual private network the easiest way I could use to explain it is it's kind of like a tunnel that makes you pop out of somewhere else in the world. You can pop out of a network that belongs to your company to tunnel through to it to access resources which normally wouldn't be outwardly facing. So in that sense, VPNs have been around for a real long time. If you're a remote worker or you're based out of a different office and you need to access a server that's in another country or in another city, you can't have these things just 
fully accessible from the internet. Otherwise, they're going to be continually under attack. Mm-hmm. So you would use an enterprise VPN to tunnel through safely to the resources of your company. Other scenarios are, for example, in my case, using a VPN to tunnel through to another point on the earth and look like you're coming out of that particular country. So what it allows you to do is, from an external point of view, someone looking at the traffic, they'll see your traffic emanating from a different geolocation. Coupling that with what I think a lot of consumers hear, and particularly I myself have heard this, that VPNs are tied to this idea of privacy. They're tied to this idea of anonymity, to protecting yourself online. Where does all of that come from? As you mentioned, the popularity of VPNs has exploded in recent years. And a lot of less scrupulous VPN (laughs) sellers will let their marketing department run wild with whatever feature set they offer and then make a whole bunch of promises which aren't always based in truth. Things like it can provide you complete anonymity. It's not exactly that simple. Yes, you're popping out of somewhere else in the world, but if you log into your Facebook while using a VPN tunnel, Facebook can circumvent the ability of the VPN to provide you some anonymity and say, oh, hey, we know this user. We have a cookie for him or he's logged in from that particular IP. So it's not going to shield you from them knowing what you're doing. There's a bunch of features that are touted by VPNs that you have to take them with a grain of salt. There are multiple methods to track you online. Mm -hmm. And unless you're fairly careful of how you use it, it might give you a false sense of security. Yeah, and that dovetails really well into you know this broader question here of myths. So let's look at some of the other ones here. I've also heard these kind of crazy things that you know VPNs can stop malware, they can stop your passwords from ever being stolen ever again. What can't VPNs actually do? You know, what sort of myths out there do we need to bust? Well. Malware protection, for one. It doesn't matter where you're coming out of in the internet. If you're doing it through a VPN or you're doing it through your local connection, if you're going to a website and you're downloading a malicious file, the VPN's not going to protect you for that. You may get a different payload depending on where you choose to come out of the world because some malware will categorize a geolocation in potential profits. So you go to a website which has a malicious payload, but you pop out of South America, let's say. Maybe the owner of that malware has configured it so that if you do come out of South America, you'll get some ad fraud, nothing really super bad, but still not good. And if you come out of North America, oh, okay, well, maybe that person is more affluent, and then you'll get a bona fide piece of malware that'll try to infect your computer. What you have to keep in mind is the VPN is just one layer of how you make yourself a little bit more anonymous, how you make it a little bit more hard for marketers to track you. It's not the be-all, end-all. You have to apply security in, in depth and have a VPN, but have current antivirus protection and exercise uh, 
modicum of restraint in where you go and what you do on the web so that you uh, maintain some anonymity. Just years ago, you'd think that VPNs were only for cyber criminals. Is that true? Uh, Who are these products good for? So that's a personal pet peeve of mine. It's saying that you uh, shouldn't use something because only criminals use it. That's like saying you only deserve privacy if you're going to engage in criminal behavior. There's a number of studies that have demonstrated that when an individual is informed that they might be observed, their behavior changes dramatically because mm-hmm. someone might be looking at you. It's, it's the panopticon where, where mm-hmm. you have a, a giant prison where every cell had a window. The prisoners don't know if they're being examined or not at this particular moment, but their behavior changes dramatically because the threat of being looked at exists. So I think there's a number of uses for VPNs that are not criminal in nature. There's a number of things that you might want to do. You might want to use the internet to acquire certain information that you really want private in nature. Uh, What if you've been diagnosed with AIDS and you want to read information about what that entails? That might not be something you want to do on a completely transparent basis because who knows who's going to collect that information and how that's going to affect your life. Maybe you want to find out information about legitimate political dissent but you suspect that if you do this without going through a VPN, there might be consequences. These are scenarios that are different for everyone. It depends on how authoritative your government is. I'm sure that if you're looking up information about Tiananmen Square and you're in China, you're not going to have a good time. And we have to look at it from this point of view. Should you be allowed to look at what happened historically during those protests? or not. Yeah, it sort of really puts into perspective the idea that I think both of us have definitely heard before, this counter-argument to privacy, which is strange enough that one exists, which is that, you know, if I've got nothing to hide, why would I hide it? Ah, the nothing to hide, nothing to fear argument. (laughs) This used to absolutely, like, raise the hair on the back of my head. There's counters to that argument, for example... If you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to fear. And then people will reply, well, fine, give me your Gmail password and uh, I'd like to log into your webcam when you're walking around in your apartment naked. I don't think those are quite as productive as to couch it a different way. We have a system in the world now where there's a large amount of information that's being collected on everything that you do online. And while... It might be collected, it might not be looked at, it can be retroactively. And there's several security professionals that have basically said, well, no one's taking action on this information right now, might do so retroactively. So we're in a fairly permissive democracy. Some people might say a plutocracy in certain parts of the world claiming to be a democracy. Right now, no one might mind if you're browsing to a website and saying, okay, I'm going to take a placard and I'm going to go complain because there's a particular law that I disagree with. 
But if all of a sudden someone flicks a switch in your government and decides, okay, democracy's not really cutting it right now, we're going to try autocracy or we're going to try a different method of governing. And by the way, anybody who decides to take a placard and go complain, we're going to make them disappear. That's pretty grim of a future view, but it could happen. And I would rather be not known for inquiring about what I need to do to legally protest things that my government is doing than being on a list for if and when things change. Move in a bit here. We've talked a lot about privacy. Does a VPN in any way also help my security online? And if so, how? So we see a lot of the VPN providers say that it's safer to use a VPN if you're using public access point. Mm. So let's say you're in a coffee shop or a McDonald's or somewhere like that. It certainly doesn't hurt. I don't know that I would do anything that is very critical on any of those networks except maybe browsing. The more effective the VPN becomes, the more you integrate it into a layered approach. So it it really depends on how tight you screw your tinfoil hat. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. If I'm researching something and I know it's sensitive, I'll do it on a separate machine that has no personal accounts. Mm -hmm. It will be on a VPN. That VPN will be connecting to Tor and everything is tunneled. Now, my tinfoil hat, my threat models really out there, but the average user can can look at like what's available and can decide to implement ever-increasing layers of privacy defense. Uh, Something else that I would recommend doing is tying them with other things, like installing tools that prevent tracking through your web browser in conjunction with a VPN. And that can have some really strange results. I'll give you an example. About a year and a half ago, I bought an old truck. Cool, I need a pickup, useful. The front fenders, the hood, the grill, all of that was a little bit banged up because the person who owned it before was old. So I started by going to a website to buy replacement parts. I bought a fender for 90 bucks, bought a bumper for 100, bought a grill for 50, bought a new hood for a used hood for 50. And then I tried to buy the left front fender. And all of a sudden, from that website where I bought a red right one for 90 bucks, I couldn't find a left fender for less than 300 bucks. Like literally triple the price. So I was really curious because I was like, does that mean that like everybody smashes the left fender? (laughs) Is there some sort of like statistical anomaly or... Or should I just give up and like bang that fender out and spend three hours sanding it? Mm. Well, I went to a different computer. I logged into a VPN. I made it look like I popped out of a city a couple of states away. And lo and behold, I find the proper fender for 90 bucks on the same site. So what had happened is that site went, okay, this guy bought a bumper, he bought a grill, Mm. bought some new headlights, Mm -hmm. and he bought a left fender. He's going to buy a right fender. We just got him by the, you know, we got him. So that that other fender, we're going to put maximum margin on it. And I was like blown away because some less scrupulous online shops do that a lot for 
travel purchases for for stuff they know they've got you like they're the only provider and going through the vpn checking on a different site on using a different browser that had no cookies i was able to find the right one i went back to the computer and manually put the url and eventually the site kind of went oh okay here you go Here's your right vendor, which is absolutely identical to the other one we're selling for 350 bucks yeah. for $90. Wow. So right. wow. little things like that, just like, and I was floored. I was like, <laughs> wow, somebody wrote an algorithm to take advantage of that. So all of this is great with the right caution, uh, VPN can improve my privacy. It can allow me to look up information that maybe I don't want whatever governing body I am a part of to know. And, and that could be something as simple as maybe I attend a religious university and I'm starting to question my faith. Uh, maybe I want to look up something like that and I don't want my school to know that. And it can also maybe cut prices for me uh, depending on the right situation. So let's say that I'm convinced I, I want to start using a VPN. How do I know which VPN is right for me? So typically when I'm evaluating a VPN service to purchase an account, I'm going to do some research and see if I can find instances where that VPN has been caught doing something they shouldn't. So turning over logs to certain authorities or having a severe flaw in their client that would cause the software not to behave as it should. And it's, it's pretty difficult to find some that have never had an issue. But for the multiple uses that we mentioned, I would probably, sadly, pick a VPN that is based out of a different country than the US or China or mm. Russia. I'd avoid those. I'd find one where if security concerns have been raised by independent security professionals, they were addressed. I'm a big fan of canary warrants, which are passive ways for a VPN provider to announce that they've been served with legal documents requiring them to intercept the information. As I mentioned, my threat model might be different than, than the average user. So those are things that I would look at. Also, perhaps go to my circle of friends and ask them what they recommend and what their past experiences have been so that I can get a more accurate review of the product itself. And most VPN providers will allow you to buy an account for one month. You need to be careful not to uncheck the box or find the box that says don't auto renew and try them out for a month, see how it works. The thing you mentioned quickly here, the, the canary, can you explain more what that is for folks who might not know? So you can create a document and put a date to that document and say, this document attests that we haven't been served with a secret request saying that we should provide interception capability or logging for any entity, whether it's a three-letter agency in some specific countries or mm -hmm. a government in another. And... They've been proven to work in court because what happens is, uh, let's say somebody shows up at the VPN provider says, okay, here's a paper that legally forces you to provide us with access and prevents you from telling anyone. They can't force 
the company to forge a canary. Uh-huh. So if the date goes by and all of a sudden no new canary document appears on their website saying for the month of August, we've created this document that attests mm-hmm. that we have, are not coerced, mm-hmm. then you can go check that and say, oh, okay. Well, it's been three months since that VPN provider hasn't issued a new document. And people will notice, and it will make the rounds pretty quickly. And this is a way for the VPN provider to basically not break the law, but tell their customers, we are coerced into providing a level of access that we're not comfortable with, and now you know. And we're not breaking the law by telling you. I can't remember the exact name, but there was an email provider that was being coerced and they elected to just shut everything down. Yeah, uh, uh, I think you're thinking of LavaBit? Yes, yes. Yeah. He just kind of like threw a book of matches and burnt the whole thing down. <laughs> yeah, I believe he's, the founder said something along the lines of, if the public knew what I now know about email, they would make the same decision. Something along those lines. And it was extremely worrying at the time and still is. Well, I think they they were requesting access, which by the way that they were requesting it would provide them access to their entire user base instead of just the particular individual they were targeting. So I can understand why they did that. We've talked a lot about utilizing VPNs for, you know, popular devices, laptops, you know, mobile devices. Uh, But what about some of the devices where I still know my, my online activity is being tracked, but I can't really install a VPN on it. You know, like my smart TV, or if I was a person who had a smart fridge, I assume online activity is still traveling and going to someone. What do I do, you know, for my smart TV that I can't install a VPN on that? It doesn't have the user interface. It doesn't have the, the configurations. Is there a way to still protect myself? So... I've been in the IT business for a long time and in the security business as well. And I'll tell you, my first choice for that is not to have a smart fridge (laughs) or not to have, not to use the smart TV because the endless list of abuses that are feasible with those devices, the fact that the manufacturer is the one that benefits from the information that these devices collect much, much more than whatever convenience they might provide you, it really sways my decision. Now, you might have a game console or you might have an older device that has connectivity, which is really pivotal to the device, and you can't configure a VPN on that device. My recommendation usually at that point is to look at your router. So you can purchase mid-range to higher-end routers that will allow you to configure a VPN in the router. So even if your handheld game console or whatever device that you have on your personal network isn't capable of having a VPN configured locally, it talks to your router upstream. Your router encapsulates the traffic into a VPN tunnel to a VPN provider. Now you pop out of somewhere else in the world. I wanted to go back to something we had been talking about just a little bit ago about government interest in VPNs, government interest in who uses them or, you know, what kind of databases or logs are kept by the VPNs. And while, you know, you and I have been talking about the boons, the benefits of these tools, 
there are a lot of governments that don't see it that way. In 2017, I believe the Chinese government asked Apple to remove every VPN app from the Chinese app store. And in the same year, 2017, Russia tried to pass, maybe did pass, a law that uh, prohibited connecting to VPN servers. Why are VPNs seen as a threat to some governments? You know, what is so dangerous about anonymity and privacy online? So I'll give you an anecdotal example. I had a friend who had some friends in China, and he showed them the Tiananmen Square tank guy. Iconic picture, some dude standing in front of a tank. Everyone here in North America will recognize that picture instantly. It's, it's world known. And this particular Chinese person said, oh, wow, this is cool. Is this a Photoshop? Whoa. And China's in a particular place for that. They have the Great Chinese Firewall, which mm-hmm. is their attempt to filter the content of the internet so that things that the Chinese Communist Party doesn't find agreeable never reach their population. So that's why they don't want you to use a VPN. Probably similar lines for Russia. They don't want Russians to be able to have an unfiltered access to the rest of the world because they might come to realize that, hey, things might be a little bit nicer somewhere else than where they are and agitate to have equivalent rights. By the same token, if you purchase and use a VPN service in China, you might not have a good time because they'll find out and they'll probably pay you a visit. Not everyone buys a VPN service to circumvent geolocation so they can watch an episode of a TV show six months before it's available in their country, (laughs) which is one of the VPN uses. Yeah, I am firmly aware of that one. I will not out myself as someone who does it, but I will out myself as someone who is intimately aware of how it works. (laughs) And finally here, JP, why should we have access to these tools? What makes them important enough that we should have the freedom to use them as we see fit? I think divergence of opinions are good for society in general. I think that if, if everyone sleepwalks into like a docile and an obedient stance, we're going to lose a lot of innovation. And I think that the present situation is, is wrong. We shouldn't enter this bargain where we receive free services in exchange for a very, very granular log of everything we do and everywhere we go. So services like VPNs, trying to protect your privacy, uh, they're difficult, they're hard to learn. We're working to try to make them easier and to make them the standard, but it's in part your responsibility as a web user to try to make it as difficult as possible for either marketing or government entities to know what you're doing. By themselves, that information that's accrued against you or about you can eventually be collated with other databases. And then you get an incredibly realistic, granular, step-by-step thread of the life of someone, where they've been, what they've purchased, what they like to do, what pharmacies they go to. It's truly terrifying when you start tying all of those threads together, when you have 
you know, a record of what cell towers that particular person's cell phone is connecting, what they're purchasing, where they are, where they hang out, who they see. That provides an unprecedented view into someone's life. And maybe right now the government's not doing anything about that, but who knows if they don't change their mind later or if they don't implement some crazy rules. I can think of like an insurance company having access to that data, basically saying, hey, you work in an orange neighborhood, which has a fairly high crime rate, so we're going to raise your premium. Hmm. Stuff like that just makes my hair stand on end. Yeah, it's also this thing where if it keeps ramping up, And if we keep depending on data to make determinations, we're no longer building an online profile of who we are, you know, willingly or not willingly. We're not the ones making those decisions. It it starts to become that the data is making decisions on us. And like you said, sometimes it can be wrong. Sometimes we can not have a chance to challenge those decisions. And when it's in the hands of a private company, like you said, who do I go to to say to my insurance company, no, like, no, you're, you're wrong. I shouldn't be charged a premium just because of a place that I have to live. I completely agree. It's a bit sad because whenever I talk to my friends who are not in the InfoSec sphere, uh, they shake their head. They go like, oh, God, you know, there he goes again. Here's your giant tinfoil sombrero. Um, <laughs> you know, nobody cares. You're, you're not that important. And... If I sit down and they don't, their eyes don't glaze over in 10 minutes, usually we walk away with them going like, oh, you know, I'm taking all the smart light bulbs out of my house. I'm not, not leaving home. I'm going to go wrap myself in a tinfoil blanket. <laughs> but uh, I think there's value in, in educating people to the unforeseen consequences of having such a, a wide aggregation of everything that you do. Like It may not seem like it's that bad, but if you tie them all together, it doesn't paint a pretty picture. JP, thank you so much for being on the show. To our listeners at home, we'll talk to you again in two weeks when we speak with Chris Boyd about facial recognition, where it came from, how it's being rolled out across the world, and what you should know about it. <laughs>